Thanks for listening to our podcast. The following is a ministry of Orchard Bible Church in Centennial, Colorado. Please join us on Sunday mornings. For more details, visit us online at orchardbible.org. Today's reading is in Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. This is the word of God. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, Do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Would you stay standing so we can pray together? Father, we are thankful for those who have gone before us in seeking out Lord Jesus, seeking him out in faith. And I pray, Lord, that that would be what we would do today and our time together, centered around your word, knowing you are in our midst, would further our knowing of the Lord Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I like to see people get better. It's good for business when you're in the medical field. And I think you do as well. You like to see yourself get better when you're sick. You like to see those that you care about go in the right direction. But when I think of Jesus, I have no question that he likes seeing people get better as well. He does it a few times in this section of scripture, we'll see. But I think what he likes even more is faith. He loves seeing a vibrant faith. And that I'm going to hopefully uncover and show you today in Matthew chapter 8 on several occasions here. It begins with a leper. The scriptures say, when Jesus came down from the mountain, and you know that the Sermon on the Mount was just before this, great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. I wonder if the leper was there at the Sermon on the Mount, outside of the Sea of Galilee, on the hillside, listening. I guess it had a lot to do with whether the wind was blowing. Because when you were a leper, if the wind wasn't blowing in the first century, according to the regulations of the time, you could get within six feet of a family member or someone else in society. 
If the wind was blowing, you needed to be 150 feet, and if I were to measure that, you wouldn't be able to stand in the same room if I had leprosy and the wind was blowing. But the leper was one who came and approached Jesus. We're familiar with distance between people and not getting something that could be contagious. We've lived through quite a bit these last two or three years. But it was always a two-sided restriction. You keep your distance from me, Nate, and I'll keep my distance from you. That was what we have been told. We've gotten at least used to some of that practice. But when as the leper's case, it was all one-sided. It was, it was people yelling at him, stay away, you're getting too close. It was the leper, as the Old Testament would have him say, yelling as someone got nearby, unclean, unclean, pointing to himself. It was someone with leprosy that was forced outside the town, outside the village, outside the camp to live out his or her days until there was either some miraculous healing or far more likely they died outside the camp. This man was one that was known to be, in that time, both contagious as well as a disease that was disfiguring. There's debates about just what leprosy was in the first century. We have a handle on it as medical people today and know it to be a specific disease caused by a very specific bacterium that's in the TB family. Back then, there's a lot of speculation. Was it just a variety of skin diseases? Well... Whatever it was, it was viewed as being very contagious and concerning, hence the restrictions, even in Scripture, not just among people who just didn't want to be around you, but there were restrictions. And when you look at a man like this, we know that it was not just something that you kept your distance because you didn't want it, but you kept your distance because of just how disfiguring this must have been for him. Matthew doesn't tell us. We've got to turn over to the medical records of Dr. Luke in Luke chapter 5, verse 12, and see that he was described in that account as full of leprosy. Full of leprosy is this man. Jesus was full of something. He was full of grace and truth, according to John in chapter 1. That same word is what is used to describe this man and his leprosy. Full of leprosy. No doubt advanced in its course. No doubt advanced in the disfigurement of the face. No doubt advanced in terms of the extent of whatever leprous rash, injury to the digits that were deformed would not be hard to tell that this man was getting close to you by just looking at him, if he was, as Luke describes, full of leprosy. Matthew is more succinct. He gets to what is important to him in the story, and he leaves out the scene of what must have happened when he says in verses 1 and 2, great crowds followed Jesus, and behold, a leopard came to him. He leaves out the horror that must have overtaken that crowd as a leper got near. The, the, the old men being pushed out of the way, but normally courteous people as, as a leper got near. The people turning their eyes, and as they did, pulling out a handkerchief to cover their face. Mothers covering both mouth and eyes of a little one so she wouldn't see this man either getting his disease or seeing the disfigurement that was 
there right close by. But the leper, it says, knelt down before Jesus, saying, Lord. Matthew focuses on this man with leprosy and what he did. He approached Jesus, first of all. He approached him confident that this is where I need to be if I'm going to seek healing. This man can do something about it. He approached with reverence. The scriptures make clear, both Luke does as well as Matthew does, as they describe this leprous man coming to Jesus, that he knelt down, a sign of reverence, a sign of really worship. And he says, not teacher, not good person, not doc. He says, Lord. So he approaches Jesus. He approaches him with reverence in both posture and his words. And he approaches him in faith because he says, if you will, I, you can make me clean. He approaches in faith. The man with leprosy was ahead of his time, the best I can tell. He was ahead of his time because though Jesus had begun some healing ministry, and you can look in the different gospel accounts, when this story takes place and it's written about in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's early on in each of their accounts. So we don't know exactly how far into Jesus' ministry it was, but it's, it, it's safe to say it was early on. And there are some descriptions of some healings in each of those three gospel accounts prior to the leper's interaction with Jesus that talk about Jesus doing some healing. But there's no example, there's no indication that Jesus had healed someone with leprosy. In part because Jesus had always healed by being close up to somebody, touching them or being near them. And no doubt those with leprosy had kept their distance so far. Appropriately so, they were supposed to. And it would be inviting the angst and anger of people of Capernaum or any other place to, to boldly get close to Jesus the way this leper did. He was ahead of his time because the best we can tell, he was asking Jesus to do something that he had never done before. Heal someone that had this degree of disease and this particular disease. He was ahead of his time in showing faith. He didn't know the writer of Hebrews, who would write a few decades later in Hebrews 11, verse 6, and without faith it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. This man with leprosy was living out Hebrews 11, verse 6, decades before the writer of Hebrews put it down for us as a model, as instruction. And what was the reward that this man received for approaching? The distance that he knew was now gone. The distance he knew between, first of all, he and God was now gone. He was in God's presence. His faith, however fledgling it might have been, was rewarded by Jesus' healing and Jesus' affirmation of him wanting to heal and receive this man. 
God himself had reached out, had stretched out his hand and touched him. You thought there were gasps as this man approached Jesus and fell down. You can imagine the gasps when Jesus, before he healed, the scriptures make clear, stretched out his hand, verse 3, and touched him and says, I'm willing, and heal him. Each account makes it clear Jesus touched him before he healed him. The distance between he and God removed. And the distance between he and society and his family and his friends now removed as he was healed and told to go in and show to the priest, according to the Old Testament regulations, you've been healed, and, and to go through the process of re, being readmitted into society. This leper showed your faith will reach God. And a Roman centurion, let's read verses 5 down to verse 8 of Matthew chapter 8. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. <clears throat> I try to avoid us flipping around too much when we're studying together, but this is a time in which some of the details that Luke records of this same story are helpful. Helpful to get a fuller picture of just what happened. I think helpful in furthering our understanding of this great faith that Jesus is, is it, it, recognizing and speaking about. So I'm going to have you turn to Luke chapter 7. We'll just turn there this one time, and then we'll be back in Matthew 8. But we're turning to Luke 7, looking at the beginning of the chapter. <clears throat> and we're looking at, starting in verse 2, again, the same story with some details that Luke records. Details, and here, let me make sure you're interested in this. Because Luke shows us that at least on this day, the best we can tell, the centurion never met Jesus. I thought you just said in Matthew chapter 8 that he came to Jesus and pleaded the case. Well, look at Luke chapter 7 and how really how this centurion approached Jesus was through others. Not just once, but twice. Luke chapter 7, verse 2. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with Jesus earnestly, saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him. He loves our nation. He is the one who built our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to Jesus, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. So can you see how Matthew condenses the story? Uh, he, he represents the story by saying this centurion 
pleaded his case to Jesus, but Luke supplies some details so we can see the way it unfolded was the centurion indeed had someone in his home, and his household, in which he was very worried about. Luke supplies the detail. He was near death. And, and feeling that he was not worthy to approach Jesus, he approaches Jesus through some Jewish elders in this little place of Capernaum. Those Jewish elders approach Jesus and not only make the case to come, come back to his home, come back to this Roman commander's home and heal this servant, but they supply some details that I seriously doubt the centurion wanted them to say. He says, this man's worthy. He's worthy of having you come to his home because he, he loves our nation. Meaning this Roman commander of a hundred Roman soldiers with additional servants, he's worthy of you doing this for him. He loves our nation. Even more than that, he, he built our synagogue here in town whether he supplied the manpower, whether he supplied some of the building blocks, whether he used some of the tax money, had some authority to do that, they're pleading that this man is worthy of you doing this, Jesus. And then we see that as, as this group, this Jewish leaders, Jesus, and the crowds that must have been there are making their way to the centurion's home, the centurion feels another pang of unworthiness. You see, initially his unworthiness, his high view of Jesus told him, I can't even go uninvited and meet with Jesus. I'll send some others to plead my case. Now he sees Jesus coming. And, and, and he again has a sense, I'm not even worthy to have him come into my home. He gathers some friends that must have been there with him saying, here's what you need to say. Go, go, I know he's getting close. Go, 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 tell him, do not come. Tell him he only needs to say the word and my servant will be healed. I'm not worthy of having him come under my roof. So back to Matthew's account in verses 5 and 6. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home. He's suffering terribly. Do you see some similarities between the Roman centurion and the man with leprosy? Well, if you don't, you're in good company because nobody there in Capernaum saw anything similar between these two guys. One in his rags, full of leprosy, disfigured, an outcast, reviled by even just looking at him, and a Roman centurion, a commander, one who has the authority to help build the religious synagogue in town one who has the favor of, of the Jews, probably not at all a given in that society, probably a rare Roman leader in that. So he's got not only the prestige from Rome, he's got prestige even in the eyes of the Jewish leaders in that time. He's got some money, I'm sure. He's, he's one that has influence compared to this other one with no influence. What a difference. Despised and marginalized on one side versus one of influence, one that might well be said to be called the center of influence. But put side by side, as Matthew does here in Matthew chapter 8, we get a chance to see the similarities of two seemingly very dissimilar men. 
The similarities are there because they both approached Jesus. They both did it in reverence. And they both did it in great faith. Now, you know how the leper did that. Approaching, pushing through crowds against all the regulations and approaching Jesus. And, and, and expressing his reverence in both word as well as his posture and saying, Lord, I know you can heal this, if you will. But what about the centurion? What did he do to demonstrate his approach to Jesus, his reverent, reverence for Jesus and his great faith? Well, first of all, he did come to Jesus, even if now we know from Luke he came by a delegation of Roman elders. He came to Jesus. He didn't go to the Jewish leaders to say, heal my servant. He didn't go to the local medical man. He saw enough, and God's spirit must impressed enough on him the authority of this prophet Jesus to go to him. He went with reverence. He didn't fall at Jesus' feet because, again, the best we can tell from Dr. Luke is he didn't see Jesus a few feet away that day at least. He kept his difference, his distance out of reverence for Jesus. Not just once, but twice saying, Jesus, don't get any closer to me. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to have an uninvited invitation to you or approach to you. So he sent some Jewish leaders. And I'm not worthy now to have you, as you approach my home, even come in my home. Your authority is so much more than mine. Just say the word. And it was in saying the word that Jesus, I think, must have taken such note. You know, so far, the best we can tell, Jesus had healed diseases by touching people or being the people were brought to him. And now we have one who maybe saw some of those healings, maybe didn't, and just heard the accounts. But now we have one who says his authority is so great, all he needs to do is say the word. And this servant, he doesn't need to touch him. He doesn't need to be in the same room. He doesn't need to examine him. He has the authority that if he just says the word, that my servant of mine will be healed. And when Jesus heard that, the scriptures say he marveled. He said to those who followed him, truly I say to you, no one in Israel have I found such great faith. Now where had Jesus been in his lifetime? Well, two years, three years, maybe in Egypt, pretty small. I don't remember much from when I was a year and a half to four and a half or whatever that time frame was. I doubt he even met many people of, of faith in the true God there. So his whole experience, parts from just some toddler years, was in Israel. And so basically what Jesus is saying is, on all the earth, I have not found anyone with this kind of faith. In all of this promised land, I have not found anyone with this kind of faith. The creator is literally admiring the creator. You say, are you stretching the mountain? What do you mean he's admiring? Well, the word says. The Holy Spirit in the Greek uses a word that is variously translated, astonished, admired, marveled at. It wasn't like Jesus just kind of raised a little eyebrow when 
he saw this faith. It wasn't like Jesus kind of said, that's pretty cool. No. Jesus was astonished. He, he, He admired, he was marveling at the faith of this Roman pagan who was expressing this kind of faith and confidence in this person, Jesus. He was showing that his faith was the means to reach God. Not his position, his faith was what was reaching God. It got me to thinking, how do I grow a faith like that? I'd I'd like to just maybe have enough faith so Jesus might at least give me a little tip of the hat. He doesn't need to say this is the best faith in Colorado. Boy, just to even have any recognition of my faith, how do I grow my faith? I found myself thinking, you know, there's probably these two extremes. It's got to be in the between them. You know, this extreme of, you know, is faith just kind of like confidence? You just kind of, you know, the old, uh, you fake it till you make it. Like, like you just kind of say, wake up one day, leave church one day. I'm going to have more faith. And, and then wait for it to happen. That, that seems a little absurd to me. But, but the other side of that seems not right either. Like faith is something that the Holy Spirit just kind of slowly oozes into your life as you just live long enough. Go to church long enough. It seems to me there is something in, the, in between where we actively participate in growing faith. And I think this centurion shows us at least two ways in which we all might have access to growing faith. The first thing I see in him is that that he has a high view of Jesus. And he did not have this book, certainly didn't have the New Testament. He didn't have so much of what you and I have to, to be a basis for a high view of Jesus And yet, this man had a high view of Jesus. This wasn't a guy that had low self-esteem, so everybody he's looking up to. He was not a leper on the outside of town, ostracized of no reputation, of no value in society. This man may well be considered the most influential person in the town, at least in human standards. Centurion, century. 100 years, centurion, 100 men under him. He's he's got power, he's got influence. And actually by his own good behavior, people skills, whatever, he's he's got a great reputation, probably uh, highly unusual, but he even has a great reputation in this town. This is not a man who needs to go to self-esteem, self-confidence classes at the local rec center on Friday evenings. This is a man who recognizes the power and position he has, and yet sees this Jesus as so much higher than his authority, so much higher than his position. He twice shows us, particularly in Luke's account, he doesn't feel like he deserves to get even close to Jesus, at least physically speaking. You know, it's towards the end of this same chapter. We'll get to it, not today. But we'll get to a story of Jesus being in the, in the boat with some disciples. 
Disciples who've seen more miracles, more healings than this guy, this centurion. Disciples that have heard a lot more teaching than this guy, because they've been walking around with him. But a squall comes up on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus silences the Sea of Galilee. You remember the words, be still. And what does it say at the end of that account? And it says, when they saw this, they marveled, what sort of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. What would the centurion have been like had he been in the boat? Jesus quieted the storms. He would have looked over at Peter and said, saw that coming. What's the surprise, guys? Why are you so shocked? And if he was needling them, maybe as, as iron sharpens irons, iron sharpens irons, might have said, where's your faith? Where's your confidence in the authority of this Jesus you've been hanging around? Yeah, this Jesus, you want great faith? Decide to have a high view of Jesus. Because my guess is, That is one of the ways that God's people who have demonstrated great faith have gotten a great faith. Their life has been described by many good things. Being in the scriptures, being people of prayer, being people that valued being around other Christians, being obedient. Yes, yes, yes. But there were also people that with each passing year, Jesus just got higher. Their view of Jesus just got higher. The centurion was just a little precocious. He was pretty good at the school of viewing Jesus higher. I'm hoping for myself this centurion holds an example for me to grow in the loftiness of my view of Jesus because I think a great faith grows with that in tandem. You grow faith, I think, by growing a higher and higher view of Jesus. But I think you also can grow faith like this centurion shows us by finding reasons for greater faith in your own life experience. The centurion did that. He he found reasons for greater faith by his own life experience. That's what happens when we transition from verse 8 to verse 9, when he says, just say the word, Jesus, my servant will be healed. Then he launches into a couple of verses where he draws on his life experience, in this case, in the military, to demonstrate to anyone who will listen why he knows this Jesus can do this. It says in verse 8, the centurion replied, I'm not worthy to have you under my roof. Say the word, my servant will be healed. Verse 9, for I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes. I say to another, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. I normally wouldn't point out words in a paraphrase translation as being really important. After all, often words in a paraphrased translation are added in for our understanding. But I sure appreciate what the New Living Translation says in between verses 8 and 9 of this passage. Words that aren't in the original 
text. Because the original text is like the ESV, a more literal, close translation, goes from saying, just say the word and my servant will be healed. And the centurion then launches into his description of authority. The New Living Translation just puts in these four kind of linking words. They're understood words, but they sure help me. In between the verses it says, I know you can do this. I know you can heal with just a word. I know this because, and he begins to talk about what he knows of authority in the military. I know this because. I know you can do this because. And it got me thinking, what do I know about faith because of life experience? What is it that I know? What is it that maybe you know that is awaiting to propel you to greater faith? Are you someone that loves apologetics and reasons for the faith? Maybe studied it more than others so you can give a reason for your faith. My question for you is, with that studies, with that thinking, with that appreciation for the solidness of our faith, does that also affect your daily life? Does that confidence that you have in your faith translate into confidence that God's not going to let your kids go, even though it seems uncertain right now? That, that, that God's going to see uh, your small group study, despite the tensions in it, get through it by God's grace? Does, does your confidence from apologetics extend to the real life growth in faith that you have trust that God is still on the throne despite what the news says? Do you have a hall of faith, a great cloud of witnesses in your life that maybe could grow your faith more than it already has by simply reflecting on what God's given you in that gift? Hebrews 11 is, is there so that we will be stronger. This examples of people of faith. It's there so that you realize having been surrounded by people of faith, observing their lives, we're, we're supposed to see that grow our faith. Encourage, model, inspire us. Some of your great cloud of witnesses, I know some of my hall of faith, sits near me every Sunday. There's even some on the other side of the aisle. That's hard to say when you only sit on one side. What is it that you might reflect on the examples, not perfect examples, but your hall of faith that God would invite and use to strengthen your faith? Are there a few things more tremendously encouraging than seeing somebody weather a storm. A storm you say, I don't know if I could have gotten through that. Is it few things more encouraging than seeing somebody walk a lifetime, eight decades, nine decades with Jesus? You know, I think our, our all around us, there are opportunities that, that we can find reasons for greater faith through our life experience. Some of you love studying the sciences. How can you not study the sciences and echo what Johannes Kepler said 250 years ago? That science is thinking God's thoughts after him. 
Isn't it tremendous to love a field and see the complexity of what God has made and see that as a basis for faith? There's a reason for greater faith for every mom here who had an opportunity to see that little one who was maybe just a half inch on an ultrasound screen, now 14 or 15, walking around the house, grown up, as tall as them, asking, Mom, I've done the dishes. What else can I do? The journey that they have seen from this little half-incher to a teenager, much less one who grows up. I think some of the best smiles are when you get to those grandparents' age and you see that son or daughter of yours looking out and loving your grandchild and maturing and selflessly caring. We are all surrounded by opportunities for greater faith. We get to Peter's mother-in-law. The story is shorter here. It begins in verse 14 where it says, And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever, and he touched her hand, and the fever left her. She arose and began to serve him. You know, the leper and the centurion had something in common. They approached Jesus. They had great reverence as they did it. They demonstrated great faith. But there was something about Peter's mother-in-law that she couldn't participate in that same, that same journey. How can you reach God when you can no longer reach? When you're disabled, when you're exhausted, when you're so depressed you can't even lift your head off the bed. In her case, it seems to be a physical illness. Some speculate, since they mention fever, that it could have been malaria. And if you've seen somebody, as I'm sure some of my brothers and sisters that have grown up in, in Africa, you've seen somebody with 105 fever with malaria, you realize they cannot even barely close and open their eyes, much less get up and, and reach out to Jesus. Peter's mother-in-law is sidelined and frail. And regardless of our age... There's times, any, for any number of reasons, those of us of faith can find ourselves like that. Once active, once able-bodied, once able to contribute. And for a season, it might be short, it might be a very long season. Any number of reasons in which the ability to, to reach out to God in the way we once did just seems so much compromised. I thought back as I considered that possibility, I thought back to where I left just two weeks ago after being at, at, at our church here on a Sunday morning, and Sandy and I went to a funeral. Someone that, that I don't know if Sandy remembers meeting, I remember talking with him two or three times, maybe about 10 years ago. And despite being someone who had walked with the Lord for many years and was very able-bodied till his early 60s, began to experience a significant decline from dementia, early onset dementia. This is a man who is vibrant in ministry. If you've ever eaten over the years at the Solid Grounds coffee shop, he was instrumental, if not the lead person, getting that started. But as we saw the pictures on the screen at his funeral and heard not just the great testimony of his life, but then began to see the pictures and realized the last six and eight years were a progression of this vibrant person of faith, no longer being able to read, no longer being able to write, and finally no longer able to even speak. 
I talked with his daughter that Sandy and I, and I know some others in this room have, have known over the years. I talked with Candace about him. And I said, what did you see? Because I said, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing in Peter's mother-in-law that here was likely someone who was a faithful servant. When she's healed, she gets immediately back to serving. And she's unable to do that. And others helped her in that need. We don't see it in Matthew, but we see when this story is told in Mark and Luke that on the way, Jesus' disciples, including Peter, were telling him about her decline and, and her illness and pleading that he would stop by the house and see her. So we, we see where others are advocating for another who is compromised in their ability to reach out in faith. We see the beauty of that. You know, we see the beauty of that even when, when some people, four, four people lowered a man down through a roof and Jesus healed. Commenting in, Luke, in Matthew 9, when Jesus saw their faith, he spoke with the man and healed him. I asked Candace about her dad and she said, one of the things I observed is that his mind was declining but his heart and spirit in a way that I didn't see when he was more active, was attuned to God still. She described the uneven journey of seeking to encourage him in his faith when he was declining. She said there'd be times that I'd take my Bible, take maybe a, a book that had a great, you know, devotional. He loved the stories of Corey Ten Boom and, and her faith, and I'd take and read something from that. She said there was times that I'd be teared up and I'd look up and he was asleep. And then there was times when I'd be teared up and though he had not talked for months, the tears were in his eyes and he was experiencing the reminders of the faith that he had lived and known for some time. I said, Candace, what did you experience over those years as you and others sought to encourage his once vibrant faith in a vibrant body to one whose faith now was, was, was difficult to pursue, at least on his own, and you all were seeking to come alongside him, to minister to him when he was less able to reach out to Jesus. She said, I made very little progress on the why. Over that decade... He died about two months ago. I made very little, very little progress on the why of why this has happened. Why a man like him is being cut down by this disease. But she said, I did make progress on my hope in Jesus. By serving and loving him and seeing others do the same. Is the gospel in this passage of healing, this passage of faith... We like to find a way to see that the gospel is integral to each and every passage in Scripture. It's not hard here. Think of the leper. Think of this leper who, who didn't make Jesus impure that day when Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Jesus could not be made impure by touching a leper, despite the fact that in the Old Testament, any other person would. But that leper made Jesus impure one day. 
happens to be the same day you and I made Jesus impure, made him vile, made him one who, who carried the weight of disease and sin and all that was black internally in our lives at Calvary. Praise God that we can only make Jesus dirty once and that he's already done it at Calvary. It's a reminder that no matter where we are, whether we are ones who have not yet come to Jesus or we have but find ourselves in a place where we feel dirty and impure, like we should keep our distance from Jesus. We need to remind ourselves that if we're in Jesus, we only make him impure once, only make him dirty once, and we need to have confidence to reach out to him in faith. That's what this centurion did. He reached out, and Jesus responded, not because of his role in culture, not because of his influence, not because he, his name was on the side of the synagogue in, in the social hall. It was because of his faith. So much so that Jesus says, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven like this man. He is an example of how Jesus will draw people from every nation and tribe to himself. My friends, your faith will reach God. When you're unclean, you're ostracized, you're discounted, you're shunned like a leper, your faith will reach God. When you're unschooled in theology, maybe hardened by life, maybe uncomfortable getting close to Jesus like a Roman centurion once was, your faith will reach God. And when you're disabled, you're sick, you're exhausted, you're emotionally and physically spent, like Peter's mother-in-law perhaps represents in her own illness, your faith will find God. He'll stretch out his hand into any unclean life. He'll follow you back home. He'll find you when you can't find him. He'll even come to your bedside when you can no longer lift your head. Praise God. Your faith will find God. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. May we, like this centurion, like this leper, like Peter's mother-in-law, hold on to the great blessing of faith in our Lord Jesus. May you grow it in each and every one of us this week. We surrender to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.